The reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 17 to 32, and it can be found on page 1049 of the Church Bibles. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Shall we? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray as we look at your word together that you might teach us wonderful things about you. That you might teach us wonderful things about your Son and the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. 
be good to have the passage open um, if you can. So, Elton John. Elton John is renowned for being extravagant and for putting on some of the most outrageous and expensive parties in celebrity history. For his 50th, he dressed up like Louis XIV in a costume that was so outrageously huge that he had to arrive to the party on a truck. And it was decorated like a sort of 15th century French drawing room. And he sat on a custom-made gold throne and his wig was three and a half foot tall. It's astonishing. But then it's Elton John, so it's not that astonishing. I wonder what your idea, as we thought about a bit earlier, is of a great celebration. For some of us, uh, there's nothing that we love more than that unplanned surprise with loads of people and music and food, maybe even the dressing up. For others, we really like to know what's happening. And we prefer that intimate gathering of friends who can share a meal together. However we like, uh, uh, however we like to celebrate, parties are joyful things. They bring people together for all sorts of reasons. This week, we're continuing in Luke 15. And we've spent the past few weeks thinking about the younger son, how far he went from his father. And then last week, what a beautiful, all-forgiving greeting his father gave him as he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the story, in some ways, could have ended there with the son welcomed home by the father, forgiven and accepted and held in his arms. However, Jesus has got more to say, more to teach his listeners, and more to teach both the sinners and the tax collectors and the angry Pharisees who are muttering and complaining about the company Jesus keeps. As the son is held in the father's arms, in verse 21, he's trying to get his planned speech out. But he only gets so far before the father speaks up, calling for his servants to dress him and make preparations for a celebration, a grand party. A party in honor of his wandering son who's returned to the family. And I wonder whether while the father had been looking out for his son day after day, longing for his return, the musicians were already gathered, already maybe tuning up, ready in anticipation to begin the celebrations. Finally, in verse 24, the son is back. And that, that verse tells us the reason for the party. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What a relief. What a wonderful joy to be able to have that celebration. And all of us, to some extent, might understand this feeling. Maybe we've lost a wedding ring or an engagement ring or a treasured gift from someone we love. And then only when we discover it much later, we have that joy of knowing that we found it again. Or maybe we've known the sadness of someone who's been really ill and been able to celebrate the deep joy of their healing as they've discovered new life again. The elation and delight 
in discovering what was lost or seeing someone healed and restored is quite often beyond description. You get it in that great pit of your stomach, that deep joy, the grin on your face as something wonderful is happening. Well, there are some wonderful things to notice in, about this party and some incredible things Jesus is saying to us about the joy and party in heaven that goes on every time one sinner repents. So the first thing we notice about the party is that the celebration is a lavish one. It's a lavish one. It's really, really extravagant. The father throws everything he's got at this party. He doesn't wait and plan something for a later date. He calls for his son to be dressed in the grandest robes, robes that would be long and stately, the kind fit for a king. And the filth of the pigs he's washed away and his tattered and worn out rags are removed. Instead, he's clothed in beautiful garments, given a ring and shoes for his feet. Not only that, a fattened calf, which was really expensive and special, and it was kept only for special occasions. It's prepared and cooked as part of the celebration. This lavish and generous party demonstrates the delight the father has at the return of his son. He's cleaned up. He's welcomed. He's offered the very best hospitality the father can give. And he becomes the most honored guest. What a wonderful picture of our heavenly father's absolute lavish and extravagant delight when we repent and come to him. In the same way, each of us is welcomed as an honored guest. And Isaiah writes that we're clothed in garments of salvation and arrayed in a robe of righteousness. As the repentant sinner is held in the arms of a loving Heavenly Father, we are bedecked with salvation. And we're given to wear in humility the righteousness that comes from Christ himself. Because his righteousness becomes ours. His purity becomes ours. Our sin and filth are washed away. Instead, we receive that lavish and generous love and mercy that only God can give. We're saved from our sin. We're restored into relationship. John writes in one of his letters, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. How great. How great and how extraordinary. And that lavish love Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 as well, demonstrated by every spiritual blessing that we receive as believers who trust in Christ. We become holy and blameless, God's adopted children who've been saved through the sacrificial death of Christ. What grace we have received. What a gift. And how generous is the giver. The celebration is a lavish one, a lavish demonstration of the father who's delighted to celebrate the return of his son, offering him undeserved hospitality fit for a king. And what a joyful call that is for us as a church. Because one writer says that when we offer hospitality, we reenact the divine love of the father. We're called to offer others welcome, the welcome that we've received from God himself. 
a welcome that began in the garden in Genesis as God welcomed people into his home, the home that he'd made for them. As we offer hospitality or an open door, a meal, a listening ear, in doing so, we open a window for people, people to see the perfect love of God, and then in turn, to come to him themselves. Now, I know it's not always possible for us to open our homes to other people, but there are plenty of ways that we can be hospitable. We can make sure that we greet those that come through the doors on a Sunday morning. We can go out of our way to sit with people that are new or sitting on their own in church. We can approach those that look maybe on the edge of things over coffee, or um, we can meet people and catch up in the newly sorted out cafe. The Father's love is lavish and welcoming. And his hospitality stems from his longing to be in relationship with people. And he invites us daily, come to him, treating us with honor that we don't deserve. Let's do that for each other. Let's do that for our neighbors, for our friends, for our colleagues. Let's do that for those we sit next to on Sunday mornings. Let's do that away from church and with our church family. Let's love as we've been loved. Secondly, the celebration is restorative. It's not restorative like taking a paracetamol that makes the younger son feel better. It's restorative because the younger son is reinstated as a full member of the family. He's back where he belongs. He's welcomed without accusation, without condition, without blame. And he's welcomed not as a slave, which is what he thought would happen, but dressed in finest robes, given a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, all which symbolize the welcoming the father gives to him as he comes home. You see, a slave doesn't get sandals for their feet. Only an honored and respected member of the family is given such generosity. A slave doesn't get a ring for their finger because that was a sign of sonship that the young man would be again with his father where he belonged. A slave wouldn't be given a fattened calf. Food like that was for an extra special occasion, of great honor and celebration. For the father, forgiveness of his son means celebration, not anger, not blame. There's no bringing up the past, there's just looking to the joy of the future. And that's the challenge for us too, isn't it? True forgiveness of those that hurt us should lead to joy and restoration of relationship. True forgiveness means no longer bringing up the past, no longer talking about how hurt we've been, no longer waiting to take revenge. We often say, don't we, we should forgive and forget. Sometimes it is impossible to actually forget the hurt that we've received. But forgiveness is possible with the help of God. And then the future is beautiful and hopeful beyond what we can imagine. And it's a celebration that we can enjoy with our Heavenly Father. I don't know if you've heard of Brant Jean. He was the 18-year-old boy from Dallas whose brother was murdered recently by a police officer who mistook him for an intruder in her home. And as the woman received her 10-year sentence, Brad, Brad asked the judge if he could hug her, if he could hug her and tell her that he'd forgiven her for the crime she committed. And this teenager said this, if you're truly sorry, 
I forgive you. And I know that if you go to God, he will forgive you. I love you, just like anyone else. See, this young man knew his heavenly father was a forgiving God. And that he would forgive all those that come to him and restore them into his family and celebrate. You see, it's not that God has just turned a blind eye to the selfishness of his children. It's not that at all. He's done absolutely everything possible to restore us to his family. When Jesus breathed his last, on, his last breath on the cross, he cried, it is finished. Because his sacrificial work was complete. It was over. He died in our place receiving the full force of God's anger at sin instead of on us. And then marvelously and beautifully through his resurrection, we can come to him and be given new life, welcomed into the Father's family as forgiven children, restored just like the younger son. So this celebration here is not just lavish, but it's restorative, bringing hope and joy. And as John in his letter, the second half of that verse I read says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The repentant sinner is welcomed fully into God's family, unconditionally by him. And lastly, this celebration is unlimited We've already in the past weeks recognized that this parable is not just about one wayward son, but about two, about a younger brother and an older brother, both of which in their own way are turning their backs on their father and both of which are rejecting him. Let's look for a moment at the older son. When the party kicks off, he's out in the fields working, probably where he usually is, faithfully, diligently doing what he believes is expected of him. And as he comes back, he hears the music, and a servant explains to him that his brother has returned. The older brother is furious. How dare his father welcome him home? How dare his father invite him in and clothe him in the best clothes? How dare he reinstate him as his son after all he's done? All the older brother can see is the dirt and the filth. He cannot even call him his brother anymore. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Glastonbury, but you may have seen pictures of Glastonbury post the event. The beautiful grounds have been absolutely trashed, strewn with litter, fields all churned up, mud everywhere, dead tents left behind, lots of camping stuff just dumped and scattered. It looks completely hideous and filthy and like it's impossible to restore in any way, until the team come in and tackle the clear up. Because only then the grounds can heal. And only then the following spring will the new shoots of life appear. The older son can't and does not want to see his brother cleaned up with a new life. He can only see the mess, the smell, the stench of the past. He doesn't have love or compassion or forgiveness. 
And it's very easy to imagine the angry and sullen face of him standing outside the party, stroppy, alone, fuming, self-righteous and indignant. Now his father could have left him there, having a strop on the naughty step, but he doesn't because his loving father comes out to him too and pleads with him to come in. Come in and join the celebration. Come in and enjoy the wonderful food, the dancing, the company of the father. Celebrate the return of the younger son because this celebration is open to both sons. And Jesus is making the point to his listeners that all repentant sinners are invited to join the party. Both those who are, who are wayward like the younger son, who might deliberately, obviously turn away from God, ignoring him, but also those more like the Pharisees, the hard workers, the legalistic, who are trying to do the right thing, but actually have hard hearts and wrong motives, who don't really think that they need saving because they're okay, who are unloving and judgmental, who don't understand or accept that wonderful, extravagant love that their father offers them too. In the same way, our Heavenly Father welcomes all who repent. His generosity of forgiveness stretches so wide to all those who come to him. And we often hear testimonies, don't we, of those really dramatic stories of people who've turned to Christ after their lives have been desperate and their drug addictions or their murderers or their thieves or whatever they are. And very often they become books and bestsellers and we read them because it's really exciting to see the power of God at work in these people's lives. But what about us? There's the rest of us. Those seemingly normal, everyday people whose lives still can ignore God who put other things in his place, who perhaps make our own happiness central or the happiness of our families more than putting God at the heart of our life, who make maybe our work, our desire for money, our comfortable living more of a priority than Christ himself, who invest, invest in relationships but neglect others and our relationship with Christ who maybe actually from Sunday to Sunday don't even pick up his word, struggle to pray, don't give him a lot of thought. Maybe who invest in doing stuff, but actually don't invest in him or disapprove of others we don't understand. You see, we're all invited to God's party as younger sons or older sons. It's an unlimited invitation, unrestricted, all we have to do is to repent and come. Now we never know, do we, whether the older son walks through that door and enjoys the celebration, but we do know that invitation is there. So as we finish, let's remember that this celebration is a joyful one, unreservedly joyful in every way. In fact, one translation says that the father is making merry, which I rather like, making merry on the account of his son's return. There's a celebration going on in heaven, a permanent party, if you like, for eternity. Because day after day, hour after hour, 
People are choosing to come to the Father in repentance, and this brings him delight. His Son has completed the work he was to do, to save us. A celebration because day after day, those that are lost are found. They find their home as sons and daughters of God and members of his family. And because those that are spiritually dead find life in the arms of their Father who holds them now, but also forever in eternity. Martin Luther said this, a bit weird. If I could believe God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. <laughs> I, don't, I do wonder what was going through his head as he thought that. But as he discovered the gift of grace in Jesus, he discovered joy. Because God is not angry with the repentant sinner. His anger is appeased through his son. We should all be standing on our heads for joy. That would be an interesting Sunday morning. We can enjoy being part of a celebration that's for now and continues for all eternity. As we meet and praise him together week by week, we celebrate God's love for us in Jesus. We bring him glory for all he's done. We celebrate his forgiveness and his joy that to be born again is to have new life with the one who loves us, who's made us and saved us. It is possible to live a life of celebration and joy even when life feels rubbish and hard, even when it's tough and we don't feel like celebrating. Our walk with Christ points to hope and eternity with him, to a final party where all things will be come together, where the praise of Jesus will never cease, where pain and sadness is absent, and where all things are brought under the lordship of Christ for his glory. We've got an in invitation to a banquet better and greater than anything Buckingham House could offer. Better and greater even than Carson could plan in Downton Abbey. But the question I leave you with is this. Are you going to accept the invitation and join the party? Because you are so very, very welcome and such an honored guest. Because God is standing at the door with his arms open, pleading for you to come in and to celebrate. Amen.